6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Jeremiah, chapters 33 through 36. There are promises to the house of Levi to endure. And here is another one in verse 18. That neither shall the priest, that is the Levites, lack a man before me to offer burnt offerings, to kindle meal offerings, and to do sacrifice continually. The word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, if ye break my covenant of the day, and if ye can break my covenant of the night, and that there should be not day and night in their season, then may also my covenant be broken with David, my servant, that he should not have a man to reign upon his throne, and uh, and with the Levites, the priests, my ministers. That's a long King James way of saying not to worry. Um, in other words, if you can break, if you can stop nights and days, then then indeed you can break the covenant he's made with David. That's just a way of saying you can't do it. Just a colorful, rabbinical, inverted line of reasoning way of expressing that thought, if I may put it that way. Verse 22, the host of heaven cannot be numbered, neither the sand of the sea measured. So will I multiply the seed of David, my servant, and the Levites who minister unto me. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Considerest thou not what, the, that, what this people have spoken, saying, The two families which the Lord hath chosen, he hath even cast them off. Thus they have despised my people, and they should no more uh, be no more a nation before them. Thus saith the Lord, If my covenant be not with day and night, and if I have not appointed the ordinances of heaven and earth, then will I cast away the seed of Jacob and David, my servant, so that uh, I will not take any of his seed to be rulers of the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for I will cause their captivity to return and have mercy on them. Okay, that so ends the section of those three chapters, chapters 31, 32, and 33, the so-called Book of Consolation, particularly this last chapter, a fairly straightforward um, passage of encouragement, quite a contrast to the gloom and doom kind of stuff that Jeremiah has been nailing them with in previous chapters, uh, the Book of Consolation, and so ends a major ch section. Now we're going to in enter into, from chapter 34, well, 34 through 38 uh, is going to be um, five chapters that, that uh, essentially uh, cover Jeremiah's, Jeremiah's experiences during the siege of Jerusalem. It's going to be quite a lot of narrative. So it's going to change, more or less biographical, if you will. Chapter 39 will be the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. after a two-year siege. And then the chapters 40 through 44 will be the events after the fall. So we've got um, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, five chapters ahead of the fall, the fall, and then uh, five chapters after the fall, as, as essentially historically, more or less historical passages that are in the next section. Now, incidentally, those of you that remember the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3 and 4 particularly, you will be aware of the fact that Nebuchadnezzar's reign during that time was very, very widespread, 
not just a little local fertile crescent kind of thing. And this, this starts to also come in before us here in uh, chapter 34. Chapter 34, verse 1, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and all his army and all the kingdoms of the earth and uh, of his, all the kingdoms of the earth of his dominion and all the peoples fought against Jerusalem and against its, all its cities, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Go and speak to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and tell him, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. Now, um, this is, uh, uh, there's not a lot of new information here. We're going to um, see the Lord now focus very specifically in, in uh, indicting, if you will, Zedekiah. Let's, uh, let's, but he's going to actually do better than his, the other kings that preceded him who were really in bad shape. Actually, he's, Zedekiah is going to do um, uh, not quite so badly. Verse 3, And thou shalt not escape out of his hand. That is out of Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Now, Jeremiah is ta the Lord's telling Jeremiah to talk to Zedekiah. So this is Jeremiah talking to his king. And thou shalt not escape out of his hand, but thou shalt surely be taken and delivered into his hand, and thine eyes shall behold the eyes of the king of Babylon, and he shall speak with thee mouth to mouth, and thou shalt go to Babylon. Now, there's an overtone here that you might miss. One of the things that Zedekiah is going to face, have to face, is to be face to face with the king of Babylon. And the overtone here is that's not too neat a thing. I mean, not only is he going to be taken, he's going to be confronted with Nebuchadnezzar, you know, eyeball to eyeball, navel to navel, face to face. And um, that's what this gives us a subtle insight into is how much Nebuchadnezzar was feared. Nebuchadnezzar was uh, probably one of the most absolute despots that's ever ruled on the planet Earth. We get glimpses of that here and there in the book of Daniel particularly when uh, he thought someone didn't perform quite up to snuff threw him in a, you know, into a fiery furnace. Uh, when someone, when, when, when his advisors weren't quick to give him the answer he wanted, he was going to tear them limb from limb and make their houses a dunghill. He didn't mess around. He was, you know, no committees there. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar did his analysis and decided the optimum size of a committee was seven-tenths of a member. And uh, so he's a tough guy. And it's interesting here, even we find that even hinted at behind the thing here where the Lord is telling Zedekiah, you're, no, you're not going to escape, but you're going to have to face him eyeball to eyeball. And, and, and that's uh, uh, kind of interesting. Um, it says, uh, thou shalt behold the eyes of the king of Babylon. Uh, uh, that's kind of interesting. You, you might just pause here for Put your finger here and turn to Ezekiel 12. I think I ca called this to your attention before, but it's a good place to, re to remind you about it. Um, Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 13. Ezekiel is writing, now Ezekiel's in captivity from the uh, first or second siege. I think it's the first siege, but I, I've forgotten. In any case, Ezekiel is a captive in Babylon. He's also writing. But he has a prophecy in Ezekiel 12, verse 13. He says, my net... God says through Ezekiel, my net will I also spread upon him, speaking of Zedekiah. And he shall be taken in my snare, and I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans. Yet shall he not see it, though he shall die there. And um, 
You're probably wondering what that's all about. You might turn to Jeremiah 52. We'll peek ahead at Jeremiah, chapter 52, the last chapter in the book of Jeremiah. Pick it up about verse 10, which uh, details chronologically or in narrative form what happens when Zedekiah is finally apprehended by the king of Babylon. It says, verse 10, the king of Babylon slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Okay. Also, all the princes of Judah in Riblah. Verse 11, then he put out the eyes of Zedekiah. And the king of Babylon bound him in chains and carried him to Babylon and put him in prison until the day of his death. So that was Zedekiah's destiny. A natural death, in effect, but in prison blinded, uh, having the last scene, last conscious vision, was of the Babylonians slaughtering his sons before they put out his eyes. Zedekiah, did, uh, I mean, uh, Nebuchadnezzar played rough. Okay, back to chapter 34, verse 4. Yeah, yet hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah, king of Judah, thus saith the Lord uh, of thee, thou shalt not die by the sword, but thou shalt die in peace. And with the uh, burnings of thy fathers and the former kings who were before thee, so shall they burn odors for thee, and they will uh, lament thee, saying, O Lord, for I have pronounced the word, saith the Lord. One small point, some people read this and assume they're talking about cremation. And just a historical point, you'll find that the cremation was not the norm at all in the history of Israel. Uh, it was not, the, not normally practiced. They, you will find burnings referred to, like here and several other places. What they did is they burned spices. You'll find Second Chronicles 16 and Second Chronicles 21 are places where that uh, happens to uh, occur. Uh, no big deal, but I thought I'd just mention oh, only You will find certain places where they, the Jews practiced cremation, and that's where they were uh, especially fearful of the bodies being desecrated. And the concept was that if they burned the body, they couldn't do anything more to them. There was a couple of places in their history where you'll find that. But in general, cremation is, is not practiced by the Jews on the one hand. On the other hand, I've heard Chuck uh, speak many times that there's, you know, once your spirit has left the body, then uh, it's really irrelevant what they do to it. It will not in any way impede the Lord's ability to resurrect you, so it's not a big issue one way or the other. Uh, verse 6, and then, then Jeremiah the prophet spoke all these words, Unto Zedekiah, king of Judah in Jerusalem, when the king of Babylon's army fought against Jerusalem and against all the cities of Judah that were left against Lashish and against Azekah, for these fortified, uh, fortified cities remained of the cities of Judah. These two cities are southwest of, Jeru of Jerusalem, Lashish about 35 miles southwest, and Azekah about 15 miles southwest. Um, Lashish is now Tel Ed Duir, and the other one is Tel as Zechariah, I guess. And um, the, um, the Lashish letters uh, make give vivid descriptions of all of this, by the way. But this is about the southern extent of, 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 the, of the siege, if you will, of, of the land of Judah. No big deal, but just a little background. Okay, now we're going into a passage in chapter 34 that requires a little background. Um, and to, to get a perspective of this, it might be useful to acquaint, since you and I are not generally used to slave trade, uh, and you need to understand some of the laws. So you might turn to Exodus 21. We'll just take a quick summary, a quick cram course 
on the on the on the comments about uh, on the Torah, comments about um, keeping slaves. The first eleven verses of chapter twenty-one of Exodus <clears throat> says, "Now these are the ordinances which thou shalt set before them. If thou if thou buy a Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go free for nothing." If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he was married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, then sh and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be the masters, and he shall go out by himself. And if the servant shall uh, plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him unto the judges, and he shall also bring him to the door and unto the doorpost, and his master shall bore uh, his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. And it goes on with some other things. Um, some interesting rules about keeping slaves. And you all know about the doorpost, the concept of a bond slave, which is a, then a slave for life, not for any six-year kind of period. Um, you might just have picked up the, do another survey. Leviticus 25 also deals with the law of slaves. Leviticus 25, picking it up about verse... Um, 39, if thy brother who dwelleth by thee hath become poor and be sold unto thee, thou shalt not compel him to serve as a slave, but as a hired servant, and as a sojourner he shall be with thee, and he shall serve thee unto the year of Jubilee. Unto the year of Jubilee. Now, in this case, it's a little different. This is where a guy is indenturing himself to pay off a debt. And then uh, what that that can only go to the year of jubilee. Every uh, every seventh year was this, was a Sabbath year, and after seven weeks of Sabbath years, after forty nine years, in other words, you had a jubilee year, and the, and you could not uh, indenture yourself beyond the boundary of a jubilee year. And in verse forty one, then shall he depart from thee, he and his children with him, and shall return unto his own family and unto his possession of his fathers. And there's there's rules about this kind of a slave. Okay, and then if we pop over to Deuteronomy fifteen, Deuteronomy fifteen, again verse twelve, and if thy brother, if you, uh, Deuteronomy fifteen verse twelve, and the general pa passage here is about the um, Sabbath year. If, uh, if thy brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, be sold unto thee and serve thee, serve thee six years, but in the seventh year thou shalt let him go free from thee, when thou sendest him out from thee, thou shalt not let him go away empty, but you, you know, furnish him liberally out of thy flock and out of thy, uh, out of thy floor, that is a thrashing floor, and out of thy winepress of that wherewith the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, thou shalt give unto him. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee before I command thee this day. Now, you notice a link here. The law of the slave was linked to the fact that they were slaves in Egypt, and God redeemed them. So they're not to abuse the slaves. Um, it's going to be kind of interesting. We're going to see shortly here. If, if we were to do a survey of this, we would discover that the 8th century prophets, Isaiah, Micah, Hosea, and Amos, four of them have special passages telling them not to, uh, to do social injustice to their slaves. The fact that they were indentured in servitude was no reason to abuse them. And again, the, the link of their own history being born out of, the nation of Israel said to be born out of Egypt from the Exodus. So from that root, they should be particularly sensitive to uh, 
the slave rules. Now, what we're going to discover is nobody paid attention to the law. We've just been through some 30-odd chapters of Jeremiah. We have a pretty good perspective of how rigorous Judah was observing God's rules. And it's no surprise then to us that they were abusing this. Now, the place is under siege, and they're about they recognize the place is about to go down. Now, there's nothing like, you know, a terminal countdown to bring them all to repentance, you know? Um, so, with the city going to go down, there is, for a little while, a commitment by them to get their act together and repent. Notice what happens. Verse, uh, we're down in chapter 34 of Jeremiah, verse 8. We got down to verse, uh, verse 8. This is the word that came unto Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people who were at Jerusalem to pro proclaim liberty unto them, that every man should let his maid ser manservant and every man his maidservant, being an Hebrew or a Hebrewess, go free, that none should enslave them, to wit, a Jew and his brother. Now, if you just read that, you wouldn't quite understand what's going on, but you need to recognize that there were rules under which they were to be set free, not necessarily right then, but the point is they obviously had abused all these other limitations, served more than six years. They weren't even observing this, the Jubilee year, to the best of our records. So they were in, in violation of, of the Torah, in violation of the law re relative to slaves. Now, it's interesting here is that Zedekiah had the uh, people of Judah covenant to let them all go, which they do for a little while. Now, what, what's not obvious here, and I forget whether it's in this passage or elsewhere, but what happens is, the, see, the city of Jerusalem's under siege. The Babylonian army's out there, and it's about to get them. So they're suddenly becoming very pious. I think it's, you know, a panic pious or something, see? What happens is the Babylonians fold up their tents and leave for a while. The, 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 the house of Judah figures, gee, they're abandoning their siege. No, they just go back because they went to meet uh, Pharaoh Nehofer on some other issues, so they temporarily retired from the siege. They're going to be back, okay? When they retire, these guys renege on their covenant. Isn't that something? And, and that's what's going to come up here. They, they made a covenant to release them. They were in default anyway. Then they promised to straighten it out. Once the threat's gone, they say, next to that, they force them back into labor. And God is offended by that. And we're going to see some words about that here in chapter 34. These people. Anyway, they make this covenant. Zedekiah has to make the covenant. They're going to free up the uh, Hebrews that are in a form of servitude. And then verse 10, Now when all the princes and all the people who had entered into the covenant heard that everyone should let his manservant and everyone his maidservant go free, that none should enslave them anymore, then they obeyed and let them go. But afterward they turned, that is, they repented, and caused the servants and the handmaids whom they had let go free to return and brought them into subjection for servants and for handmaids. In other words, they reneged on their deal. They made a solemn covenant before the king that they were going to turn them loose. But after they did that, they changed their mind. Now you can imagine the morale problem around that part of town. Therefore, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, I made a covenant with your fathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, saying. Notice the reference. 
It's not just a casual remark. He's making specific reference to their own origin and the fact that he made a covenant. God keeps his covenants. At the end of seven years, let ye every man, uh, his brother, and the Hebrew who hath been sold unto thee, and when he hath served thee six years, thou shalt let him go free from there. But your fathers hearken not unto me, neither inclined their ear. And ye were now turned, and had done right in my sight, in proclaiming liberty to every man and his neighbor. And ye had made a covenant before me in the house which is called by my name. Apparently Zedekiah had this covenant ratified in the temple. God honored it. Now they reneged. Verse 16, But ye turned and polluted my name. See, that's the problem. When they make a covenant before the Lord and then don't keep it, they pollute God's name. That's what makes vows so dangerous. Don't make vows. Don't make vows. Resolve to do things, but don't make vows. Because you're not going to keep them. And when you don't keep them, you uh, pollute the name of God. He, he turned and polluted my name and caused every man his servant and every man his handmaid, whom ye had set at liberty at their pleasure, to return and brought them into subjection to be unto you for servants and for handmaids. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, ye have not hearkened unto me in proclaiming liberty every one to his brother and every man to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim a liberty for you, saith the Lord, to the, to the sword, to the pestilence, and to the famine, and I will make you to be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth. And I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not performed the words of the covenant which they made before me, when they cut the calf in two and passed between these parts. Now, you probably are wondering, what's that all about? It's very interesting. We're going to look shortly at a, uh, a scriptural example in Genesis, but I might mention that the Assyrian is inscription make reference to a practice, an ancient, ancient practice, that if you and I were going to make an agreement, we would take an animal, typically one that's offered for an offering, and we'd cut it in pieces and set the pieces aside, and then we'd pass between them, you and I, if we were making an agreement. And so if we go between the pieces, uh, that seals the covenant. That's a practice you and I aren't too familiar with, the idea in the Assyrian descriptions is that if then we break the covenant, we'll be cut in pieces. In other words, if after passing through the pieces, if we don't keep that covenant, then we'll be cut in pieces like those pieces. That's, that's the expression that occurs in the Assyrian covenant. So it's a symbolic act, just like, you know, we in, in business um, shake hands on a deal, right? We make a certain gesture to seal a bargain, right? I won't tell you why that has to do with the raising of a visor on armor in the age of chivalry. That's a whole other story. But the point is, out of these things, a gesture occurs to seal the bargain. When Boaz seals his redemption act in the Ch Ruth chapter 4, right? The guy, the, the guy that does, refuses to do the kinsman part hands Boaz his shoe. Well, it turns out, in the early days of Israel that when a, a, a widow put it upon a kinsman to do the kinsman's part, he didn't have to, but if he didn't, he was disgraced. So if he did the kinsman's part, the take her to wife to raise up seed to the dead brother or, or, or and take the land, whatever, if he did that, great. If he didn't do that, she was to um, spit on him, and he hands her his shoe as a, 
as a testimony of disgrace. So that was his, you know, he still didn't have to do it, but at least he had this thing. And obviously over time that becomes just a gesture, no longer carries that stigma. So when this uh, uh, near kinsman uh, tells Boaz he can't follow through, he hands him his shoe as a gesture, and that uh, uh, that shoe, of course, becomes for uh, Boaz a marriage license. And you can make a whole thing about shoes because the shoes don't wear out in the, in the watering in the wilderness, and, and John the Baptist's identity with Jesus is that he's not entitled to unlatch his shoe. You can make a whole thing with shoes, and I won't do that here. The point is, the point is, is that there are these gestures, and you and I still have a handshake thing in the Western culture that comes out of, out of the uh, trust that goes by uh, taking off the helmet or later on just raising the visor, and it becomes a, a gesture of a salute and finally a handshake. And um, so we have that gesture. But in the ancient uh, Middle East cultures that goes way, way back, they have this tradition of making a covenant by cutting the pieces and passing between them. And there is an example of that, rather dramatic, very important example of that, that we'll take a quick look at, in Genesis 15. And we're taking a look at that, not that we're interested in the mechanisms, but to be aware of the fact that God entered into such a covenant with Abraham. Very important covenant. Genesis 15. Very strange uh, thing occurs in Genesis 15. Uh, Abraham has not had his name changed yet. And um, we'll pick it up about, oh, verse, maybe God says in verse 7, I am the Lord who brought thee out of the earth of the Chaldees to give you this land and inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? How do I know? You know, it sounds a little impudent at first. But the Lord said to them, okay, take me a heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Right? And he took unto them all of these and divided them in the midst and laid thee one piece against another. But the birds he didn't divide. They're too small. You've been listening to 6640 the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store and search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.